I speak for most of us when I say that I miss going to the movies. One of our favorite pastimes was literally snatched away from us last year. While the pandemic has wreaked havoc on numerous businesses, its impact on the movie industry has been well documented. COVID-19 brought film exhibition to a screeching halt. As theaters closed, film studios had to quickly adapt, delay releases, and develop new distribution strategies and revenue streams. Seismic changes and the tremors were felt across the entire ecosystem. Today's guests lead companies which are critically tied to the motion picture business. One is the president of National Cinemedia, the largest in-theater advertising company in media, and the other leads Screen Engine ASI, an acclaimed market research firm. We'll discuss how both of these leaders weathered the storm and also assess the current and future state of moviegoing. My guests are Cliff Marks and Bruce Friend, and this is backed by Popular Demand. Back by popular demand, indeed. Guys, it's been a long hiatus from my little podcast. Um, I've been a little bit busy starting a new job and moving into a new apartment. Uh, so it feels real good, guys, to be back at the microphone. But I got I to give you some advice. Do not start a new job and move into a new apartment all in the same two-week window. That's, that's my advice for you today. Seems like you missed getting a new puppy. Yeah, right. And uh, it was a cliff. Where's the uh, Florida Gators helmet? I thought you'd be wearing that in the podcast. I'm a little bit disappointed. I have it right here, right behind me. Um, thanks, guys. Welcome to the podcast. It's been about a month and a half since my last episode. To my listeners, I apologize. I've been really busy. And um, that's no excuse. But I'm thrilled to be back, particularly with this episode and the topic today, which is going to be about the movie-going experience and um, what it looks like in the post-pandemic world. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, I thought my, uh, I'd, li- I'd like to have my, my guests introduce themselves. So guys, um, Cliff, I'll start with you. Tell us who you are, what you do, all that stuff. I'm Cliff Marks. I'm the president of National Cinemedia. I uh, just celebrated my 19th anniversary here and begin my 20th year. And I uh, spent 14 years at ESPN prior to this and, and prior to that, a bit of an agency life. And um, I'm a big fan of the movies and a big fan of, of uh, entertainment, and I'm excited to do this with you. Thanks. That's awesome. I'm so glad. You and I have known each other for a long time, which we're going to get into in a second, but welcome to the show. And Bruce, you know, the mic is yours. Yep. Bruce Friend. Um, I'm Chief Revenue Officer at Screen Engine ASI. Uh, we're one of the major market research and data intelligence companies here in Hollywood working with the the studios and uh, streaming services and uh, ad tech services, et cetera. Uh, I spent half my career on the client side, places like uh, HBO, Disney, MTV Networks, Telemundo, actually. Uh, spent a little time there uh, working on my Spanish and uh, then uh, became an entrepreneur. Got tired of that and about 50, almost 20 years ago, became an entrepreneur um, and been involved in this, my third company working with Screen Engine. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to this. Well, welcome. Um, before we get into the the big part of my conversation today, let's let's talk about the news of the week. Because I got to tell you something, my my head's spinning a little bit between the announcement yesterday of, of Warner Media or AT and T spinning off Warner into the Discovery Networks merger, um, and then Charles Grodin died today, who's one of my favorite oh. actors. So I got to tell you, I'm just a little bit all over the map today. But guys, the uh, the Warner uh, Discovery news, any immediate just you know, quick takes on on your thoughts on that. It's pretty incredible. Listen, you know, it's um, we're we're entering an age of the battle of the titans, and what we're seeing is 
the continued consolidation of the necessity to be bigger, to have more, to be able to do more for brands and, and, and have an arsenal of products that allows you to compete with the other guys' arsenals. You look at the world now and you, we all see how it's shaping up and there's going to be, you know, five, maybe six Goliath players. And that's how the world's going. And uh, frankly, I, I think this is a, a, a brilliant deal. I, I think Discovery becomes a really formidable player. And um, I think they're going to be a powerhouse. Yeah, don't disagree. It seems like AT&T is kind of getting out of the content business and, and uh, we'll focus on what how, kind of how they started. Bruce, what do, what's your take on it? Uh, very similar to Cliff's. I think what's more interesting is the, the Verizon sold off Yahoo and AOL and that totally flew under the radar. But, you know, they got out of the content business, uh, media content business as well two weeks ago. And then you've got the rumor of uh, Amazon potentially buying MGM and except for the, uh, the casinos, I guess, but, um, but all the content business there. So, yeah, I mean, this is inevitable. I've got to believe you're going to see, I would think you'd see Apple buy, you know, somebody out there that's left, you know, Viacom or someone like that. I mean, eventually these guys, I think, are either going to merge or get snapped up. It's inevitable. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of an exciting time. It's uh, interesting for us in our business because, uh, you know, contraction isn't necessarily a good thing for us but uh, and, and these companies, but we'll see. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of be big or be eaten, you know, yep. type of thing is – if you don't do this, you know, you're going to be somebody else's lunch. So you better be smart and have a plan. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think the brands under both um, align nicely. You know, there's not a lot of overlap, but I think, you know, how they handle the streaming businesses underneath both. It will be interesting to see what what comes of HBO Max and, and Discovery Plus. Will they stay separate? Will, uh, will they combine? You have to think that that's something that's, well, I guess will be discussed at some point down the line, uh, right? Uh, very much. Yes. It's interesting. And even if you think about it, I, I don't know the numbers, so I'm guessing. But if you take Discovery Plus and HBO and even if you take the streaming businesses that come together under that umbrella, it's probably still 15 percent the size of Netflix and you know, maybe 25 percent the size of Disney Plus. So you see what's got to happen for people to compete. And, and you know, this this is survival of the fittest. And um, it was a smart deal. I, I applaud it. So, Cliff, you mentioned at the start in your intro that you're you're a fan of movies, which I, I love about you, as because I am as well. And Bruce, I don't know you as well, but I'm assuming because you work in the the film business, you probably are as well. Yes. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a question that I didn't prep you on. So let's let's hear your favorite <laughs> movies of all time. Favorite movie of all time, Cliff. Number one, what's on the list? The the first Rocky movie is my favorite movie of all time. That movie, you know, I was a teenage boy, and it it hit me um, like a movie only a movie can, and um, I still remember it. I remember where I saw it. I remember. I remember Stallone running the steps, and um, and and who doesn't? But right. my favorite movie of all time, for sure. Awesome, Bruce. What do you got? Yeah, I I, I really have a tie of Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Godfather. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. You're, you're both going old school. I love it. Mine's 2001: A Space Odyssey. I don't even need to discuss it. That's it. So. <laughs> I may even have a tattoo of it on one of my arms, but we'll have the <laughs> conversation for another day. But seriously, all right. So, Cliff, I want to talk about um, how you and I go way back. You know, NCM, which is the abbreviation for National Cinemedia. Basically, it's it's movie advertising. It's the advertising that you see on screen when you're sitting in your in your seat in the theater, uh, waiting for the movie to start. Um, it's a huge business. Um, it's always been the biggest line item in any of my budgets that I've managed over the years, which I'm sure 
makes you very happy. But let's let's go back in time and talk about the origins of NCM because it's a massive company now. But back when you were at ESPN, you were at a I guess a crossroads in your career to determine whether or not you wanted to stay there or take a shot and take a big swing. So t- tell us a little bit about how that came about. Sure. You know, interestingly enough, um, I did spend 14 years at ESPN. It was the dream job of my life. I wasn't looking to leave. I had a, um, a, a great job and um, thought I would spend my you know, 35 years, get my gold watch and eventually move on. And um, in, in my uh, early 40s, an opportunity came my way that intrigued me only because I saw the beginning, and this was 2002, I saw the beginning of what we've all seen materialize over the years. And I, I saw fragmentation before we really almost had a word for it. And I saw, you know, the, the decline of big numbers and escalating CPMs. And, and I really believed that there was going to be a next way for brands to, to reach people that wasn't television. Remember, we grew up, all of us grew up in a very television-centric world. I mean, even in my agency days when I worked at BBO and YNR, I mean, it was, it was TV first. You plan TV, you allocated most of your budget to television. I knew there was going to be a world that that wasn't going to be the case. I didn't really know what it was. And the opportunity intrigued me. And when I sat down and met with the principals at Regal, which is where I went to work at the time, and um, saw what they were doing, I was very impressed. They were investing, you know, a lot of money in digital satellite transmission and gave me the opportunity to come in at the ground floor, which very rarely happens, to lead a company at the ground floor to build a new product and a new idea that had never been done before. Um, I, I knew right away that this was an interesting idea. I mean, captive audience, the best content in the world, arguably, I don't care who, who you want to compare my network to, our lineup's pretty good. You know, I knew right then and there this was something special. Honestly, Dennis, I didn't know how special it was. I knew there was something there, and I knew that we could build it into a great product and a great business, but I really didn't even understand myself what this could be. And of course, we landed up going through a merger where we put together Regal's company, Regal Cinemedia, with AMC's company, Natural Cinema Networks, and foreign Natural Cinemedia. And then Cinemark came along and joined us. And, you know, when you have number one and number two and number three, it gives you a footprint to build a great network, which we did. But um, even to my surprise, I knew this was a great idea. I didn't even know myself how great an idea it was and what we could build. So I remember you, you, you shared with me once the story of, I think your first client um, was NBC, right? Um, or NB- NBC Universal. That's, that's the client I work with now in my position. But was that, is that who you signed first as your first sponsor? Well, it's kind of funny, you know, um, when I accepted the job and I left ESPN and was coming to Regal Cinemedia, the Hollywood Reporter put my picture on the front cover, you know, nice. the, well done. The, the, the only time in my life, it's all right. It reported the story that I was leaving ESPN to go to um, start this company. And right next to me on that magazine was Jeff Zucker's picture. <laughs> so I didn't know Jeff Zucker. He probably wouldn't remember the story because it didn't mean that much to him. But I figured, here's my one shot. You know, my picture's right next to his on the cover of the magazine. So I called his office. I said, I'd like to talk to Jeff. I have an idea. And um, his secretary tried to get rid of me. I said, look, pull out today's Hollywood Reporter. That's me next to him. So he took my call. <laughs> it's a true story. You can't even make this up. 
And uh, he, he took my call. And I said, Jeff, I have a great idea. I'm going over to Regal. We're starting this company. We need really great entertainment content on the screen. Nobody has better entertainment content than you. I like to create an idea that that eventually I came to call promotainment, which I essentially created this concept. We could take promotional content, turn it into entertainment, put it on the screen. And um, what a great way for you to promote your shows um, while giving me great content for our audience. We used to come to the movies and watch, you know, puzzles on the screen. And uh, Jeff loved the idea. And he set up a meeting for me with the legendary John Miller at NBC and, and D.D. Ziegler, who was there at the time. It was the very first meeting I ever had. I walked in, I pitched the idea, and they sat there and they said, we love it. We're in. Wow. We want to be exclusive. Where do we sign? So That's it's amazing. one of those great stories that you, it's hard to believe. And, and it's was, never was, always that easy, is it? <laughs> well, it's never. And that, that wasn't easy either. I mean, they, you know, they obviously, you know, uh, asked a, a lot of questions that had to be right for them. But that was 20 years ago. And to this day, you know, NBC and the folks over there are still great partners of ours that we continue to work with, you know, year after year. That's so great. I mean, it's hard to imagine that NCM, given how how massive it's become and what a big player it is, that it was once a startup, you know, and that must have been an interesting first couple of years for you to just to, to find your find your way, you know, and get more and more clients on board and see the proposition. Well, for anyone who's ever worked at a big company, you know, and, you know, um, I know I have and Bruce, I know you have. When you work at these big companies, you take a lot for granted. You know, when you get when you get there, everything's there. When I got there, I had to figure out who to call to get a copy machine. And, and how to and how to get ink for the printer, you know. So when you work at a startup, you learn to do a lot of things that you hadn't done before. And um, frankly, um, you know, when I left ESPN, a lot of people thought I was out of my mind. Even I kind of thought I was out of my mind. But it's the best thing I ever did. Uh, this has been an incredible experience building the world's strongest and best cinema media company, um, and it's been a lot of fun along the way too. I admittedly always geek out whenever I was in the theater um, eating my popcorn and I'd see one of my promos for whatever company I was working at at the time, if it was one of my clients or when I was at Turner, um, which we had to deal with you, obviously, when I was at Turner. So I was always very excited to see to see it in, in you know, live in market when you see your own promotion. It's pretty, pretty exciting. Bruce, talk to me a little bit about marketing research and how you got into it. I'm actually kind of fascinated with what you do. Um, earlier in my career, entertainment marketing research was something I, I had once thought about. Um, so I guess I know you talked about some of the companies you worked at when, when you introduced yourself, but tell us a little bit more about what you do at Screen Engine. Yeah, well, in terms of how I got into it, I was a I was a interpersonal communication psych major at uh, UMass Amherst, and uh, I was fascinated. I, I just have a thirst for learning, so research seemed to be a, a natural thing. And obviously, in, in psych courses, there's a lot of research. So uh, I was fortunate enough to get an internship right out of college at YNR, <laughs> crossover there, uh, and that kind of got me started. But you know, as a musician, when I was younger, I played in bands and I wanted to be in a creative business. And, um, you know, the, the opportunity, uh, it's funny at HBO came up for me and uh, I guess it was 81. And I remember going in to resign at the woman's, uh, <laughs> the woman who ran the department. She looked me in the eye and she said, said in, in her New York accent, she said, Bruce, we love you here. I don't think anybody's ever going to pay for television. <laughs> wow. and i'm like shaking i'm like oh my god like are you kidding me like uh, what am i doing here i'm gonna be you know out of a job in like three weeks but you know it was hbo and it was an amazing place and you know i just i had a great experience and 
really loved uh, working in a, in a collaborative environment because research is ultimately we are a service part of any business, right? Yep. So, um, it, it you know, for me to be able to collaborate with every part of the company, I think that's what excites me about research too. I work with the finance people, I work with the creative people, the marketing people, the distribution people, everybody, because everybody needs information. And also we have to tie all that information together. It can't sit in silos. And, you know, that's often a problem with a lot of companies that that ends up happening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had another amazing, but mostly amazing jobs. I mean, my job at MTV, uh, that was uh, actually on the international side. So I literally was traveling the world, launching MTV and Nickelodeon. Uh, I was single at the time, so it was a very fun job. Um, <laughs> uh, that was probably my most enjoyable, fun job. But again, uh, going into markets where there was no data, Latin America, there was no information about cable television going down there when we went down there. So I had to kind of, you know, make it somehow, you know, go down there and figure it out. So again, kind of learning things for the first time nobody had ever done. Uh, and that's, you know, I think if you really have a passion about research, that's kind of what, what drives most of us. And obviously today, there's not a decision that's being made from a from a marketing perspective that's not rooted in some element of data. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a good point. I mean, you know, it's not just market research anymore. It's it's, it's obviously you know data intelligence and marketing science is a big component of all this analysis. Putting it all together and and telling a story uh, again, just like like anything, is about storytelling and uh, but telling the truth too as well. So if I'm a client, what what am I what am I bringing uh, Screen Engine, uh, you know, your company? What do you guys do for for me as a as a marketer? We really we cover the gambit. So we start, you know, in some degree, we start testing even at the concept stage uh, for some of the films. Uh, we do other sort of feasibility testing on scripts, things like that. Um, but you know, we test, uh, uh, you know, screen test over half the movies and TV shows in Hollywood. So. Um, you know, from that, we obviously help with the show and, and craft the show. But, you know, the marketers learn a lot from that testing, in fact, you know, as they start to then cut their promos or their their trailers, et cetera. So they're starting to use the data even from the, the creative side. And then obviously, you know, you get to the marketing part. We're testing, you know, marketing materials. We're tracking the campaign and market. Uh, we've even just recently got into actually creating ad targets for the clients to use to better target, you know, their audiences. Uh, and that's kind of a whole new area, but again, going into more of a big data, kind of little data meets big data type of uh, product. So, um, and that's really it, you know, and, and franchise management, things like that, you know, and whatever they ask us to do, we pretty much do. But, um, and I think, you know, one of the nice things with our industry is we work with everybody and everybody's fine with that. You know, in some industries, you know, you don't, we don't want you working with this competitor or that competitor. You know, we work with everyone and I think everyone benefits in that respect, too. Which How I do I get to get on the list of, of test screenings? And, you know, <laughs> you say you're testing all these movies and screening well, stuff. I have a, I, 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 what, what, let's talk yeah, about it. Come on. Well, we actually we, we do about 80 percent of all the publicity screenings as well. Um, so uh, there's actually I won't tell you the name of the website, but there's a website you can go and join to get into those. And uh, those usually happen a, a week to two weeks before the movie's released. And and, uh, and NCM theaters and uh, Regal theaters, AMC theaters all over. So. And you guys do awareness tracking for your clients as well, where you, you're monitoring, you know, audience yes. reaction and, you know, absolutely, got it. absolutely. pre and post release. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've always been fascinated by that because, you know, even on the TV side where I spent most of my last, you know, p- part of 15 years is we always worked with awareness tracking to, to get a better understanding of what's, what's the 
awareness four or five weeks out before the show premieres. And obviously, as the media starts to kick in, you hope that you start to see uh, you know, the, the needle move in the right direction where by the time you, you premiere, you've, you've got strong interest. Yeah, and I'm proud to say I actually developed that product you used. Really? <laughs> yes, TV Dailies, yeah. Way back in the mid mid two thousands. That's impressive. So, <laughs> your job is getting people in, in in theaters and actually watching watching the content. Cliff, your job is also getting people into the theaters. Although that's not really your job, you're actually giving them an experience in the theater once once they're there. Talk to me, Cliff, a little bit about how the pre show has evolved through the years. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, growing up, we all went to the movies and we saw those scrambled puzzles on the screen and <laughs> word jumbles and. You know, the answer was always Peter O'Toole, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, you know, right, right. The experience was really poor. And, um, you know, when I got here, I, I saw that as our first opportunity to change the industry. And um, I came up with the idea to do a video pre-show and to turn it into an entertainment experience. Our very first one, um, you may remember, we called The Twenty. And uh, that's going back that. right. a long time. Yeah, um, a long time. And then um, the 20 turned into First Look, and First Look has since turned into Nuvi. But um, the idea was just simply people come to the movies, they pay their 10 bucks, they want to be entertained. We're not naive enough to think they've come to the movies to see our pre-show, but we do realize that we have this beautiful opportunity to entertain people in a completely captive and highly engaged environment for generally 15 to 20 minutes before the movie starts. So the evolution of the pre-show was entertain. How can we entertain? And, you know, um, we went to entertainment companies and said, you guys are the best in the world at what you do. And um, we're the best in the world at what we do. I mean, we had three founding members, as you know, the three largest exhibitors in America and in AMC and Cinemark and Regal, we're all part of the, the, the birth of NCM. And by, by creating an entertainment experience that actually allows people to get a, a first look, a sneak peek at something special, it actually created a, a really unique, um, a really unique uh, way to enhance the movie experience. You know, when we first started this, you know, the theaters were pretty – you know, they didn't really care about it. It was just something they had to play. What we started to hear soon afterwards were the theater managers that didn't have first look in their theaters complaining and saying, hey, how do we get that? You know, customers really like it. People are starting to get to the movies earlier because they want to be entertained and they like the entertainment. And we've had some incredible content partners over the years that have really taken it seriously. You know, that was the best part from a consumer perspective. Is like I, I didn't even feel like I was being marketed to because I was watching something that may have been prom- promotional in nature, but still was vastly yeah. entertaining. So I felt like sometimes the moviegoers probably didn't even know the difference, right? Yeah. And hence the notion of promotainment, because people just want to be entertained. If the entertainment is selling, then, you know, they don't really mind. But, you know, when you're sitting at home and you watch a 30-second commercial and you see a commercial come on for a specific product and you're not interested in that product, you just take, you know, the, the, the control. I call it a mega device. Dennis, you ever heard, ever heard me use that term before? I don't think mega so. Device? You know what a mega device is? No. A mega device is a make-it-go-away device. We all have one <laughs> sitting next to our couch where we pick it up and we press a button. You know what we do? We make it go away. And – 
you can't do that in the cinema environment. Mm-hmm. But because we don't have a bigger device and because we can't make it go away, it actually places more of a burden on us to give the consumer something they really want to see. And what they really want to see is good content and or good advertising. You know, you come to our theaters and you see a great ad on our screens and that ad feels special and you feel like you've been touched by that ad. It's something that we take really seriously and and our customers love it as well because they know the impact of that ad works on a on a 40 foot screen in a dark auditorium, you know, with Dolby sound. And that's really what makes it so special. One of, one of the things I always appreciated about you, Cliff, and NCM was the you guys always raised the bar to make sure that your clients, your partners delivered um, you know, promotional content that was definitely entertaining and not just a glorified trailer or promo. That It, it went one step further. And usually it was something like behind the scenes and some sort of piece of content that you really couldn't see anywhere else or get anywhere else. And you, you held everybody accountable to make sure they delivered that. We did because we were ultimately accountable to the customer. And we know that the customers will either like or dislike our show based on the thought and the professionalism of, of the content we show them and the production quality of that content. But over the years, Dennis, we've had some incredible partners, you know, like NBC and like Turner and like CBS, like Amazon and, and some real partners that have made some incredible content for us that has really, really made a difference because they took it so seriously. And at the, at the end of the day, the consumer response has been fantastic. And, you know, we, we brought in Maria Menounos to host the show for us, to give it a flavor of Hollywood. And Maria's terrific. Beyond being just a terrific person, she's just fantastic talent and uh, really puts a great, a great spin on the show to bring it all together. And, you know, the greatest... The most sincere form of flattery, of course, is is how many people have copied us. You know, um, other other cinema companies in the U.S. have copied our model. Other cinema companies around the world have copied our model. And I, I'm really proud of that because we thought of it, we created it, we literally perfected it. And um, and and the ultimate win-win is when consumers love it, when theater operators love it, when studios love it. And when our advertisers love it, then everybody wins. And, that, and that's really what I'm most proud of. And um, it took us a long time to figure that out, but we, we really have perfected it. I mean, great product, great, great um, business to lead. And then obviously, you know, I want to switch gears and talk about you know, what we've all gone through over this past year. And, and I feel like the pandemic has been um, a theme in every one of my episodes so far since I've launched the podcast. And it's just hard to, hard to escape. I want to get into this, but let's take a quick commercial break. And when we get back, I want to, I want to talk more about that. This episode of Back by Popular Demand is sponsored by The Waffle Company, the first ever get and give pet bed company in the world, which means for every bed sold, they donate a bed to a shelter dog in need. That just makes me smile. Those who know me will tell you how much I respect Animal Rescue, and I adore my two boxer rescues, Sammy and Gabby. And trust me when I say that they love their waffle bed. My dog dad stock went up big time when their waffle arrived. Whether I'm watching a favorite movie, a baseball game, or listening to music, one of them is always lounging on their waffle, gnawing away on their favorite shark chew toy. Waffle beds are made with organic cotton canvas and filled with pure K-pop cotton, which is lightweight, hypoallergenic, and eco-friendly. The beds come with two washable exterior layers that are very easy to reassemble once clean. It looks brand new every time I wash it. Look, you love your dogs, 
I sure love mine, and we'll pretty much do anything in the world for them. So get them a waffle. By doing so, you're ensuring a shelter dog can sleep better at night. And that should make you sleep better at night. Order them at waffleco.com. It's spelled just like the breakfast waffle, but with an O. Again, that's waffleco.com. And as a thank you to listening to this podcast, be sure to use the promo code Dennis20 to receive a 20% discount on your purchase. The Waffle Company is based in Columbus, Ohio, and all of its products are made with great care right here in the USA. Okay, let's get back to the pod. So for both of you guys, here you are. You both love what you do. You know, Cliff, you, you've got this great product with NCM. And, and Bruce, clearly there's there's a, a plethora of movies being released every single week throughout the country. So, you know, all those studios have have a research need. And I'm sure that you're, you're filling, filling that need for them. So here you go. I put myself in your shoes. Things are great, even as, you know, as recently as, you know, I guess maybe January or February of, of 2020. And then obviously everything went off, off the tracks. Um, I want to talk about that. So let's start from, from your perspective, Bruce. Talk to me about the impact and how, this had, how it had on your, on your business and where you went from there. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty shocking. You know, um, a, good, a good chunk of our, our business is with the, the film studios. So, you know, almost within from basically the end of February, the end of March, I mean, we'd lost a, a, a substantial percentage of our business. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, that resulted in us having to really kind of put our heads together and get smart and try to right size the business. We didn't want to downsize. You know, we wanted to figure out, like, how do we are there things we can do to be smarter? Um, you know, obviously, we have a lot of part time people who manage all of our screening. So unfortunately, you know, they they weren't part of, of the process. And, uh, you know, they they went on to find other things. But, uh, you know, it was pretty. uh <laughs> It was pretty radical. And, you know, TV, too, because we test TV shows in a theater. We actually own our own theaters to test TV. Oh, you do? I didn't realize Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, we own the uh, ASI, the business, uh, you know, that uh, does, you know, a big chunk of the TV testing. So that shut down, too. So here we've lost, you know, film business, a chunk of our TV business. Um, but interestingly, you know, our, our streaming, our work with the streaming companies went up. Uh, and we've got some video gaming business was good. I mean, there were certain businesses in the entertainment space that were, that were doing okay or doing better even in some cases. So, you know, we, we, we did well in certain areas, but took a hit in others. So, you know, but we, you know, I think we just, we acted, I think smartly too. And that we decided that let's, we're, we're not even going to pretend that COVID is going to end this year. We're just going to, we're going to, we're going to finish the year believing that it's going to be this bad throughout the year and not, not have hopes that then, you know, and then get into a position then where like we think things are coming back and they don't. So, um, and that, you know, that got us through the end of the year and, you know, in a, in a in reasonable shape considering. So, but it was, it was really, it was really difficult. I'm sure as I can only imagine for Cliff. I mean, yeah, I'm about to say Cliff, how do you, yeah. how do you lead an organization through something like that? I mean, obviously with the theaters closing, you know, rampantly around the country, you know, do you, do you panic? Do you stay calm take a deep breath? Like how, what do you, what do you do? The last year has been the worst five years of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's been horrible. Honestly, um, you know, while many companies were impacted, nobody has taken as, big hit as as our industry the cinema media industry yep and uh you know at some point for some point last summer we were actually shut down we had zero um but for the most part you know there have been no films and and uh, because there were no films 
it impacted our business dramatically. Of course, we're a public company traded on the NASDAQ. And, you know, if, if anybody knows the business model to how do you run a business without revenue, would you let me know? Because um, it was pretty tough. And, uh, and our people really, you know, paid the price. You know, we had to do all the things that, that smart companies do when you go through you know, a tsunami, which is kind of what we went through. And that included, you know, furloughs and pay cuts and all of the draconian things that you never think can happen. Well, we did it and uh, we got through it. But the one thing we did do, Dennis, um, which is something we've been talking about before. So it wasn't purely a reactive measure to COVID because we had been talking about diversifying our business and we've been looking at diversifying our business. One of the things we did is we pivoted and, and got into the digital out of home business. Yep. And um, it's a very natural extension for us. Interestingly enough, the cinema business for the most part is planned and bought in the media community as a national video medium. So we don't really, you know, of course we're out of, out of home business. We're not, we're not in the home but because we're sight, sound, and motion, and massively distributed, and you know, very much emulate television or other video mediums, we're looked at as a video medium. But we've never really been in the digital out of home business, and we always thought that there could be a smart play for us to diversify, and that's what we did. So um, I'll tell you, it was—it's been terrible in our cinema business, but I'm really proud of how we've reacted and. We built a NCM digital at home business. We hired a gentleman with a great digital out of home background who joined us uh, from gas station TV. And we've now brought on four or five partners. We're in, we're in uh, grocery stores with Coinstar and we're in 7-Elevens yep. uh, with a product called ATM.TV. And we're working with a product called Zeos, which is a really cool product inside of restaurants that allow us to communicate with people on their ordering and payment device. Uh, we're working with Captivate, you know, locally to help them bring in some revenue. So we've, we've smartly pivoted and brought in products that allow us to do what we're really good at, and that's sell and market. Um, but everything we're doing, we're doing with a movie twist. So when you are in a 7-Eleven uh, next time you're there and you look at that ATM.TV, you're going to notice you're going to see movie trivia on there. But what a cool way to take what we do and bring it to them and give them great content. And we're doing the great the, the same thing in supermarkets. So we're going to do the same thing inside of restaurants. And we think that movies is a universal language and that while we all sit in the theaters and watch movies, we all love movies everywhere, anyhow, anyway. So whether you watch a movie at home or whether you see a, a trivia question inside of a supermarket, movies are one of the, the universal languages. I think there's three universal languages, and that's movies, music, and sports. And those are the three things that unify us, regardless of age, race, religion, you know, don't matter what it is, movies, music, and sports bring us together. And, and we are the largest player 
on the media side and one of those three disciplines. It's interesting, and this is for both of you, um, it was a bittersweet year for me because I am a huge moviegoer, and I, I love the, the cinematic experience. I'm a, a bit of a film buff myself, and you know, for me, it doesn't get any better to being in the theater and watching something on the big screen. I'll, I'll always maintain, maintain that stance. Um, but, you know, obviously that was all taken away from everybody this past year. So you had no choice but to watch, you know, content at home. And, you know, I would, I would actually throw down the money to watch something on Peabody. You know, I watched the Ben Affleck film, The Way Back, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, I think I, I think I even watched one of the Trolls movies on Peabody. And I got to tell you, like, I really liked the convenience. I thought the price point wasn't too bad. And I was able to watch a film at home on my couch. And I thought that was great. But I felt like I was cheating on the movie industry. So I got to tell you, like here we are today with, with the vaccines rolling out across the country, there seems to be a, a sense of optimism, right? I mean, people that I talk to feel like we're maybe not through the woods, but we feel like we know where the other end is and we're getting closer to that. So talk to me a little bit about the, this optimism in the, in the movie industry. Bruce, I'll start with you. Is there, is there research that is out there that talks about um, what the appetite is for moviegoers today in terms of, are, are they ready to come back? Are they going to come back in stages? Like, what what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've been we've been actually tracking all through the um, the pandemic, and uh, you know, we really started seeing movement. I mean, you look at the first eleven weeks of this year. Um, I think the average weekly box office was I get the numbers here uh, was something like eleven point seven million. The next twelve weeks has gone up to twenty eight point eight. Now that's still down, you know, eighty three percent from <laughs> from nineteen, but yeah. It's moving in the right direction because as, as people are getting more comfortable going out, getting vaccinated, you know, feeling again, it's really it's about being comfortable. You know, that's what we're hearing. It's like I've got a comfort level with this. And when I feel like, you know, I feel comfortable and safe in the theater, then I'm going back because, you know, at the end of the day, I think people people love the movie going experience and it's always going to be there. You know, I, it, you just can't replace that, you know, sitting at home in front of your, you know, 80 inch screen. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've got obviously a couple of big movies coming out uh, Memorial day weekend. I think we're going to see another spike there, you know, uh, 4th of July, you know, just post with uh, black widow, I think it's coming out. And then obviously when we get to the fall, we've got top gun and we've got, you know, bond and a bunch of other big movies, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see how other movies that are kind of like, you know, theatrical, but could go TV either way, you know, how are those are going to, how are those are going to perform? You know, are they, are they still going to do kind of the, the numbers that they used to do before the pandemic? So I think everybody's going to be taking a, a really close look at those types of movies. I guess like um, the coming to America sequel is a good example of that, right? Where yeah. it was a theatrical and yeah. eventually went, the path I, of I mean, I'll, I'll speak to my old company and there's a Jackass movie coming out. And the first Jackass movies did huge business, you know. Um, but, you know, is that a movie that's going to succeed in the theater still? I mean, I, I, who knows? I, I think it I think it will. But, you know, it's it's one of those movies people want to keep an eye on. Downton Abbey 2 would probably be another one. You know, it's, again, a, a TV product. So is that something people will go to the theater to see? Uh, I don't have the answer. It's go it's going to be interesting, though. We're, we're going to get the answer, and I think you know. Hopefully, it's going to be a good answer. 
I feel like, you know, the one movie that comes to mind that I feel like you know, really captured this past year more than any other film was the Bond movie. Um, mm. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Daniel Craig as Bond. And I felt like, you know, it got delayed once. It got delayed again. I mean, I've actually lost count how many times that date has pushed. And I'm not I'm, <laughs> four times. And I'm not I'm not even joking. Like, it's one of those things where after a while, it just the reality sets in. And so I, I guess, Cliff, like from where you stand, I mean, are we going to continue to see dates continue to get pushed back? Or do we feel like you know, the dates that are on hold for this year for some of these bigger IPs, like, is, are, are they firm? And are we going to just see more stuff in 22? Like, what are we looking at there? Well, I'll tell you, we're very optimistic. Um, we have our own proprietary panel called Behind the Screens, and that's 5,000 moviegoers who sit on an exclusive panel that we talk to. We've been doing this for years. It was built by Doug Pulick, who headed our research, our research group. And uh, we started measuring consumer sentiment in April of 20 was our first panel. And we've measured it throughout the entire duration of this, of this, you know, crisis. And we have watched consumer sentiment change literally as we've gone through the different phases. And I'll tell you, we just finished our seventh wave and the research um, is is um, overwhelmingly positive. And Dennis, I'd be happy to share it with you um, if, if you'd like to see it. It's really interesting. The last wave we did, 56% of the respondents said that they've now been back to the movies. That was a 30% increase over the wave we did previously, previous to that, which was just eight weeks earlier. You know, 64% of the 18 to 34 a demographic reported it being back to the movies. Um, 79% have been back to the movies um, in totality um, since, you know, the uh, COVID crisis has started. Um, and what's interesting, which is interesting for us, is 91% of them took their seats, you know, prior to the uh, earlier than previously because they wanted to get there, you know, get located, get their seat. And of course, the theaters are now serving more into the seats and, you know, accommodating. So we, we thought that was really interesting. The titles are, 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 are starting to firm up much better. Um, really, I think the worst of the shifting is past us. That's not to say you can't see a shift here or there. If you look at the titles, uh, um, I was looking at the movie release calendar earlier this week, and there still are some slots that just are holding what untitled movie and waiting for, for, you know, the the studio to slot in exactly what film. But it's starting to firm up. And really, you know, in reality, I, I would say that the movies return Memorial Day weekend. You know, with, with the beginning of Quiet Place 2 and Cruella, followed by The Conjuring, then in, then in the Heights, that's really going to be the beginning of this, you know, we're back. And people will come back to the movies. Just look at other countries. Look what happened in Japan. Look what's happened in China. Look around the world. People love the movies. They're coming back. And we feel great about that. Uh, if I'm a moviegoer, I'm like thrilled, right? Because like, I feel like every week there's going to be a big title that's coming out, right? Yeah. Well, you've, that, you have, you've got F9. Uh, they're predicting F9 is going to make $160 to $180 million internationally this weekend. So it's opening a week earlier. Uh, you know, I think it's China, Middle East, Russia, one other market, not even all the international markets. And so that's big. I mean, and that's that's a huge number. 
I mean, it's still not probably what it would have done, probably <laughs> maybe three times that. But, you know, I think that signals that certainly, you know, moviegoers and moviegoers around the world. And I think you're going to see a big, big turnout for that movie here. And I think that's going to be, the, you know, the next big one uh, to really pop. And we'll know that in two weeks. And do you think that the uh, the King Kong Godzilla film was kind of the beginning of the turn in this story? Because I, I felt like it did Definitely. quite well, better yeah. than I think people expected, right? Definitely. But again, if, you know, it's a big screen event movie. I mean, I think that's, again, that's really, you know, uh, to Cliff's point, you know, it, it's cinematic. You know, you, you, you want a cinematic experience in a cinema. So, you know, I think that's what people are going to go to, you know, they're going to go to these big movies that really have a, you have a wonderful experience in the theater, you know? And Bruce, that, yeah. You know, Bruce, the interesting thing about that one is people had the option to not go to the theater to watch. Yeah. Yeah. But they did go yeah. to the theater. They did go. Exactly. You know, exactly. so that should make all of us feel really great that people want that experience. And, and, and listen, I love movies. I love movies at home. I love movies in theaters. Um, but there's nothing like going to the theater and, and the, and the, consumers will speak with their feet when they walk into that theater to sit in that, you know, luxury seat and watch it only as they can watch it in the theater. You just can't watch it like that. So, yeah. And our numbers, we have, we have things pretty close to being back to normal by the end of the year, by the end of fourth quarter, we think it'll be probably about 80% of what the business would have been, you know, uh, under normal circumstances. So, and and obviously moving still moving in the right direction. So and I, I that would probably end up being the market would be somewhere between four point five and five point five billion uh, if if things go the way we think they're going to go. And I, I don't know, Cliff, those numbers jive with you guys, but uh, I think uh, yeah, our numbers are a little higher than that. Uh, we're yeah. between eighty five and ninety percent. Right. Um, but but in that eighty to ninety percent range by end of year, with with getting back to nineteen levels somewhere in mid twenty two. So we we should all feel really good about that. I mean, Cliff, you kind of touched on it in your answer a minute ago about I think you were referencing HBO Max, where you know, and I've talked about this in in this podcast and in previous episodes, where you know, Warner Brothers had to do what they had to do, right? Which is you know they're going to release a movie in theaters, but they're going to release it on HBO Max because they're trying to get sub- subscribers for that new service, and they did it all simultaneously. And I think the decision was made. You know, it was received, you know, in a mixed capacity. Some people totally got on board with it and they understood it. Others were were questioning, you know, that decision and what it means for the ecosystem. So do you feel like that's purely a short term um, situation in terms of movies being released on the platform and in theaters at the same time? Will we go back to all theaters eventually and then it'll eventually go to its other other streams? Or do you feel like this is the way it's going to be moving forward? Well, listen, you know, I would be no more than speculating to answer your question. I will, t- I will tell you one thing. We did research, you know, we asked our customers who saw the movie at home or in the theater, and I'll tell you that 87% said that their theater experience was very positive versus 48% who rated their home experience positive. Now, that was particularly that movie was a better movie for theatrical experience. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I think HBO has already answered your question. They've already said that in 2022, they are not going to release simultaneously and they're going to have an exclusive window. And fortunately, all three of the big theater o- operators, and I think some of the smaller ones too, have, you know, come to new agreements with, with the studios and the windows are shrinking and they're going to whatever, you know, the arrangements are. 
generally the 45 day range. Yep. You know, uh, Cinemark has their deal where they get five weekends. Um, but um, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. 90% of a movie's box office happens in the first, the first couple of weeks, weeks, right? Weeks. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and maybe it's a good thing because maybe you'll see more deals like Army of the Dead, you know, that Netflix is putting in, into theaters and maybe it'll open up more screens for smaller films and there'll be more suppliers. So I don't know, Bruce, I don't know what you think. I, I look at that as a positive. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're also very positive. I, you know, something I've seen in the course of doing all my film research over the years, and it's called pent up demand. And when you'd go for a while and there hadn't been a good movie out and all of a sudden a really great movie came out, we would see it just, the, you know, the movie overperformed tracking like almost consistently because people just wanted to get back to the theater and finally something was out that they really wanted to see. And, you know, you get massive turnout. So I think there's a lot of pent up demand out there among moviegoers that, you know, they want to get out there, especially in the summer too. You know, you think about it, that's, that's a younger audiences in particular, you know, that's the time people want to be going to the theater. It's air conditioned, it's hot outside, you know, again, they're, nobody's distracting them. I, you know, I'd argue the in-home experience, if you've got kids and stuff, they're running around and screaming. That's not like when you're in a movie theater, you know, that's, you're not going to get, a theater is going to be, you know, the, the shared experience as opposed to, you know, the chaos in your home while you're trying to watch something. Right, Cliff? <laughs> and uh, no, there's no doubt, especially, you know, the family experience. I remember when my girls were little, taking them to the theater. It's magical. And, um, and there's nothing like sitting there with kids looking at that screen and um, the awe and the, the shock and awe of excitement of content on that screen. So, you know, um, Dennis, I, I think that uh, we, we should all be set for a really, really strong summer, but um, even a better fall. I mean, the lineup in the fall is like murderer's row. Exactly. You know, because you have all this product that's been sitting there. And, you know, I was looking at the other day and you start in September with Dune then you get the Adams Family, No Time to Die, and the Halloween, and you know, Jackass and Ghostbusters, yeah. and Top Gun, and you know, I, I actually think the House of Gucci film, you know, with Jared Leno and Al Pacino, and and the Lady Gaga, that one's intriguing, and you know, and it just keeps going. A West Side Story, and Spider Man, and Kingsman, and Matrix. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, I mean, we've always had the best content in America, week after week after week. This fourth quarter is going to be rather insane because there's something to see literally every week. Cliff, I'm going to need some passes. So we'll, you and I will, <laughs> we'll, 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 discuss, we'll take that offline and talk about that later. Um, I actually am kidding. I, I agree with both of you guys about the pent up demand. I, for as a focus group of one, I, I'm all in and I'm ready to go back to the theater. So that's a two part question for me is what do the movie theaters need to do to convince um, you know, the general movie going public that it's safe to return. So that's, I guess that's A. And B is, you know, given the year off that these theaters have had, have they taken the time to revisit the theater experience and what that means today, knowing that, you know, people are a little bit cheapish in terms of going out. So are we going to start seeing enhancements? And I don't know what they, what they may be. That's a question for you, Cliff. But like, you know, does that make sense in terms of like, you know, what, what, what can we expect going, going forward? Well, first of all, let me make one thing clear, Dennis. There hasn't been a single case of COVID tied to a movie theater anywhere in the world. Not, no, not just America or North America, Amazing. anywhere in the world. Okay. I think the theater operators did a great job during COVID to prepare. A lot of them have redone filtration systems, increased 
you know, cleaning capacity. Um, you know, AMC has a partnership with Clorox, you know, with Clorox units all over the theaters and, 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 and all and exhibitors did all different things working with different partners. You know, I know from our partners, you know, between AMC and Regal and Cinemark, they've worked very, very hard to create an environment that's really safe and that, you know, is, uh, promoted social distancing and, 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 and mask wearing where, where legally appropriate. You know, consumers should feel really, really good about that. Um, the theaters are ready. They've prepped and, um, and, uh, and working with, uh, working with um, uh, NATO, they're going to be doing a big promotion. I'm not sure if you've heard about this. It's called Cinema Week. It's going to launch in June, from June 22nd to June 27th. Uh, cinemas all across the country will showcase excluded, exclusive content, uh, activations, prizes, promotions, giveaways, special guests. And uh, most of the theaters are participating. NCM will participate and help promote it. And I think, you know, get customers really excited. Again. I think a lot of it, too, just, you know, just with the announcement that you don't have to wear masks indoors anymore. I mean, I think that's going to, again, bring another level of comfort for people to go indoors and, you know, return to the kind of normal things they used to do in a public setting. So I think, again, the, the, the trend is good. I think as long as the, you know, the vaccination continues and, uh, again, we get closer and closer to this thing becoming hopefully more like the flu and less like the thing that, you know, shut us down for the last year, then, you know, I, I, I think we'll be in good shape. You know, we've all learned a lot about ourselves this past year. I, I certainly have, um, you know, both personally and, and professionally. And I think I, what I would love, love to know from both of you is, you know, given the significant changes we've all experienced, like what, what lessons did you both learn? Um, you know, if you, if you don't mind sharing that with your, with your listeners, Cliff, I'll start with you. Like, is there anything given what you had to do at NCM and how you had to kind of write the ship? Like, what did you learn about yourself? Well, I learned that when it comes to survival, you got to do what you got to do. And, um, and you know, it's not an easy thing to see people that you love and admire and respect so much to tell them that you need to furlough them or you need to cut their salaries but, you know, the survival, the, the need to survive and the need to do whatever you, you got to do to survive is instinctual. I have a friend who was a, a Navy SEAL who's talked to me about, you know, the way they're trained. And, you know, he goes, if I got to eat worms to live, I'm going to eat worms to live. You know, and if, if I need a kill to live, then I'm going to kill to live. And it's just the human instinct to survive. And I think we did a really good job of that. And I think our team did a great job and many of them have stuck it out and hopefully they'll be the beneficiaries. The other thing I realized personally is that I miss people. And uh, I really, I really, really miss people. I read an article the other day. It was a funny article. It said, we need to learn how to people again, um, you know, because um, you, you, we haven't had that human interaction. For me, that's probably favorite my favorite part of what I do is Dennis like the relationship we have that we've built over many years I really um, admire those relationships and and I miss it sitting here in my basement in my dungeon you know for the last 18 months you know I can't wait to just see people again and do business you know the way we used to do business and that may be over a meal or or a handshake or a hug or whatever it is but I miss that yeah, for me, I mean, I, I going back to the uh, the academic in me, 
just fascinated how we've just completely shifted our entire business to, you know, Zoom and Microsoft Teams and and to the point now where it's just almost second nature. Like, I'm going to get up, I'm going to have six Zoom meetings today. I don't, you know, I'm FaceTiming somebody. I, you know, it's like all of a sudden now it's just all video connection. I can't imagine going back to the office and doing a phone call now. It's always going to be like I'm, I'm scheduling a quick Zoom with you because, you know, I want to see you. And I, I'm, I'm, I saw a funny meme where there, it showed a picture of the extrovert in hell and the introvert in heaven. And it was like, you know, COVID right down the middle because, you know, <laughs> And that's me. I'm in hell because I'm an extrovert and, you know, I miss people too, but, you know, thank God, you know, that was, that was our connection point. And we all learned to adapt and to do business that way. And, you know, on top of that, in a very difficult, stressful environment. So I think, you know, I've been amazed at that and just, you know, how I think the entire world has evolved and very quickly. And I, I don't think that's necessarily going back to the way it was. I think we're going to see this is going to be a trend now. Uh, Unlike, I think people, you know, uh, moving moving their movie dates, uh, you know, or moving their their uh, home entertainment windows off their their release dates. So, uh, definitely interesting times to say the least. But uh, I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> I echo that sentiment, Cliff and and Bruce, in terms of like, I just started a new job not too long ago and everybody's been asking me, hey, how's it going? And and it's going great. But, you know, the one thing I tell everybody, it's it's hard to start a job at a new company remotely. It is just, it's not something you can get trained for. It's, it's just, you have to, you have to, to your point, Bruce, you're on, you're on video chats all day long and, and that, that's how you interact with people. But just like you said, Cliff, I'm the same. I I really miss the, the personal interaction. And, and as much as I've enjoyed getting to know my team on screen, which is all you can really do at this point, but I, as somebody who's managed pretty big teams through the years, I just, really relished that opportunity to spend time with people physically and and take them out to to team outings and lunches and and things like that and to not be able to do that right now it's just, it's just doesn't feel right you know it's just one of those things where and, and I know it's short term so I know that it's, it's not going to stay like this forever and eventually I will be in the same room with people I hope but um that's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed so far it's just hard to connect you know and hard to collaborate yeah yeah, absolutely. Guys, one last thing before I let you go. Um, any, I would just, and I've never asked, uh, you know, Bruce, I, I only know you for a short while, but Cliff, I've known you for a long time, but is there anybody that's been like a professional mentor for you? I've never asked you that question, and I'm just curious if there is one. No, you, you know, when, when I was young um, and I was working at DVDO, um, I worked for a great guy who um, who really taught me a lot. And, um, and I think we can all have mentors throughout our lives, but when you're younger, maybe they're more impactful than when you're older. And um, I worked for a guy named Bill Crosdale and Bill Crosdale was really um, a legend in the national television business. And I was a young kid at BBDO uh, buying television and Bill took me under his wing and, um, and treated me like a, a son and, um, and taught me a lot. And was a really, really special guy. And uh, I remember him telling me his story, how he got in the business. He was actually uh, a page on The Tonight Show, you know, um, in the 50s. I believe it was the 50s, you know, when Johnny Carson started his show. And Bill uh, um, eventually became a real legend. And not only at BBDO, at Western Media, at Backer Spillvogel, and a couple other agencies. He passed away many years ago. Um, but Bill was a really important man to me because he taught me a lot. And he taught me how to think and be independent, and he taught me how to be tough, and um, and that stuck with me. 
That's great. Bruce, anybody? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think, uh, Interestingly enough, I worked for Ann Sarnoff. She hired me to run research at Nickelodeon uh, years back when she was there uh, heading up the business development area and just uh, learned so much from her about business, just incredibly smart, sharp, professional. I mean, just uh, a great boss. And, you know, I was just like, and it's one of those things when you're in it and you don't kind of realize it and then you you're, you get out of it and you realize like, wow, that was what an amazing experience, you know. And and Josh Goldstein, who's also over at Warner Brothers uh, heading up marketing. I worked for Josh at uh, Sony and I never I, I thought I knew what creative marketing was all about. I, and I, basically I had an, <laughs> a master course from him just watching Josh and his abilities and, and what he did there. So. You know, it's it, and kind of those are later in my career. You know, they weren't so much as, as as earlier on. And I did have a couple of you know research vendors that took me under their wing, and and those guys for sure were were mentors as well. But um, yeah, uh, it's important. You know, you have those people in your life certainly. It's also important for all of us to remember that we need to be mentors yes, to the next yes. generation, yeah. and that we need to help young people and and do for them what others did for us and. Um, I take that very seriously. I always have. And I hope everyone in our industry does because it's our responsibility to give back. Yeah. My, my current employer has a, has a mentor program and I've definitely done that over the years, both at Nat Geo and at Turner. I was always somebody that raised their hand to, to be a mentor. And, you know, I, I was telling somebody the other day how I, I um, did some guest lecturing last year at a couple of different universities and, you know, and I gave people my phone number and I gave them my email address. And I was like, listen, you know, if you want to have a, a, a sidebar conversation about your career, please let me know. And I was pretty impressed that several students actually raised their hand, not many, but, you know, and I'm actually, done a pretty good job of staying in touch with a few of them. And they've, they've, you know, they've, they've reached out to me, let me know they're about to graduate. Can you help me out? And I don't know. I just, I've always enjoyed giving back. I just feel like it, the universe is a better place when people have that kind of attitude. So um, I'll tell you guys, thank you for your time today. I think, you know, when I was th- thinking about this podcast uh, last fall, when I was thinking about launching it, um, I started making a list of topics and things that I wanted to get to, to get into with my listeners. And, and as I said earlier, the pandemic has kind of been a dark cloud that's been hanging over this podcast because everything that we do in media has been impacted by by the pandemic. But I purposely wanted to have this conversation in May, and I and I slotted it in my my content calendar. I wrote down the state of cinema. Um, Cliff, your name was right in there. I was the first name I put down, and you and I have known each other a long time. I knew you would say yes. And um, so I thank you because I, I think this is a really, you know, this is very topical for what, what's happening around the country right now. I hope um, we, we, we find a way to get through this, this, this situation and that the theaters will open up and people will come back. And, and I know that both of your businesses are, you know, are, are very much dependent on that. So I applaud you both for um, how you've had to weather the storm this past year and, and share that story with, with my listeners. Thank you so much for your time. And um, it's been a pleasure. And for my listeners, I just want to say I, I will be back soon. I, I am not going to go on another six-week hiatus. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, my next episode is going to be about the state of outdoor advertising, which is loosely connected to what we just talked about. So, um, And that's one I've always been a big fan of. I love outdoor advertising. I, I, I see it everywhere, and I've always been a big fan of it and a big supporter of it. So that's going to be the next one. And then we'll keep it going. So, uh, guys, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for giving it to me, and, and I wish you all the best in the year ahead. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Dan. It's great to be yeah, here. Thanks, Cliff. Thanks, guys. Bye, Bruce.